This is Kansas City Today. I'm Laura Ziegler filling in for Nomeen Ujia-Dean. This is Wednesday, December 15th. Coming up, conservative Kansas lawmakers may be joining a handful of other states who've banned critical race theory in public schools. And lots, if not most, of those educators worry that the bans could keep them from teaching history honestly. I mean, I think what we're seeing here is a broader culture war being fought in America's schools and at the expense of America's children. Plus, we'll try to make sense of the legal ping pong around mask mandates in Missouri. A recent ruling by a Cole County judge has called into question who can issue mask mandates. And Attorney General Eric Schmidt has warned school districts and health departments they could be sued for enforcing them. But first, some headlines. Civil rights activists gathered at the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners meeting yesterday to condemn Police Chief Rick Smith over a recording that recently surfaced in which Smith could be heard saying, quote, the bad guy's dead, shortly following the killing of Cameron Lamb by police. Among the activists was Lamb's father, Akil Bay. He looked the Kansas City police chief in the eye and told him he should be fired. A KCPD detective, Eric DeVulcanier, was convicted last month in the fatal shooting of Lamb. The bad guys, Eric DeVulcanier, and the rest of the officers, crime scene investigators, and officers that allowed him to bleed out, they the bad guys. DeVulcanier will be sentenced in March. Two local institutions of higher education announced new leadership yesterday. Laura Spencer reports that the Kansas City Art Institute's Board of Trustees announced a new president. The board voted unanimously to name Ruki Nihold Ravi Kumar as the 25th president of the Art Institute. Board Chair Sue Nerman says in a seven-month national search, Nihold Ravi Kumar stood out for her arts and administrative experience, including most recently at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Museum of Design. She displayed incredible poise, intelligence, creativity, and just really a lovely demeanor. Nihold Ravi Kumar, who's also a graphic designer, starts on July 1st. She'll succeed outgoing President Tony Jones, who's credited with new building projects, capital campaigns, and boosting the college endowment to more than $90 million. And new COVID cases have doubled in the last two weeks in many parts of the Kansas City area. That story from KCUR's Alex Smith. Coronavirus cases are rising especially quickly in Wyandotte County, where new infections have increased by about 150 percent in the last 14 days. In Kansas City, the case rate is now higher than the Missouri average, although the state's hotspots are still primarily in rural counties. The metro area is seeing about 157 COVID hospitalizations per day, close to the peak reached during the August surge. Jackson and St. Louis counties want permission to appeal a judge's ruling that stopped local health departments from issuing public health orders. Both counties say the ruling by a Cole County judge means what they call chaos now reigns in Missouri's public health landscape. In the meantime, Attorney General Eric Schmidt continues to threaten local health authorities and school districts with lawsuits, saying the ruling invalidates their mandates and can no longer be enforced. St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Kellogg spoke with Robert Gadder, a professor at the St. Louis University School of Law, about the ruling, including what exactly it does and how it affects Missourians. There's two bad things that it does. I mean, it's both what it does and when it does it. What it does is is it reaches into a complex network of rules and statutes, local and, and, and state, 
and it plucks out about a half dozen of them. And if you think of that as almost like a game of Jenga, what's the likelihood that that's going to stand? Or does, it, does the system crumble? In smaller cities, villages, towns, and counties, where they don't have any other authority other than the authority that had been issued to them through these regulations, a local public health official could feel that his or her hands are tied and that if there's a new outbreak, there's nothing to do other than to announce that it has arrived. The second big thing is when it's doing it. Because the problem here is the pandemic, not the authority. And when you've got the authority, you've got it for measles, meningitis, chicken pox, the next avian flu. So part of this is that the timing is also still during a pandemic as the Omicron variant is arriving and we're trying to figure out how problematic it really is going to be. Overall, from what you can tell, what is the state of mask mandates in Missouri right now? Who can issue them? Who cannot? Unfortunately, the, the answer is it's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It depends on the sources of authority of the one who's issuing it. So, for example, um, the city of St. Louis and the county of St. Louis, they are charter subdivisions of the state, uh, a charter city, a charter county. Uh, with that comes a great deal of power that's, that's granted by statute to those cities and counties. But other counties and villages and towns and other smaller cities don't have that same authority. So in part, you get into what, what power goes along with being a first-class city versus a second-class city, a charter county versus a non-charter county. So that's why it's complicated. What is a simple way to explain to Missourians right now whether or not they would have to follow a mask mandate? It's a matter of recognizing that public health authority can come from more than one source. Can, not always, but can. So that's why mask mandates in the city of St. Louis still exist and they're still good. In other counties where they don't have a county council or they don't have a board of aldermen, um, and they may not have the same kinds of authority that was passed to them in the first place, their public health official may have been relying exclusively on the regulations that were declared unconstitutional. Attorney General Eric Schmidt, you know, recently sent letters to local health departments, you know, citing this ruling. If he were to sue, would he be successful? It depends. If he sued the city of St. Louis, I don't think he'd be successful. But a mask mandate that's in a, a small county that doesn't have that same kind of power that was delegated to it as a smaller county, that public health official was probably relying exclusively on some of those provisions that were declared unconstitutional. If a mask mandate is still enforced, then I suspect Eric Schmidt could be successful. Should schools who have mandates right now be worried? Yeah, I think they should. Not if I think you shouldn't be if you are the St. Louis School District or if you're a school in, in the city because that local mandate is good. If you're in the county, then I, you need to start talking to your lawyers and finding out, do I have separate authority? And if the answer is there is authority, and here's what it is, and you can fit a mask made under, uh, mandate under that, then okay. If you can't, then you probably have to let it go, and you could move to something like, um, we highly recommend masks, and you have somebody standing at the door with the free mask just handing him essentially putting it into somebody's hand and letting them say no. <laughs> that would be fine. That was Robert Gatter, professor of St. Louis University School of Law, speaking with St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Kellogg. 
Coming up, we'll hear more about the evolving debate over the teaching of race and discrimination in Kansas schools. I'm Laura Ziegler. This is Kansas City Today. UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, takes the time to understand your history, goals, and priorities. UMB tailors financial planning services and resources to help you accumulate, preserve, and protect your wealth for whatever life throws your way. It's all about establishing a customized plan for you so you can focus on the important parts of life, like spending time with family and friends, pursuing your passions, or building a career. Feel confident about your future at UMB Private Wealth Management. Everything we do starts with you. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Laura Ziegler, in for Namin Ujiadeen. The heated debate over critical race theory is raging in Kansas schools. Ideas about how to teach history and race in the state are conflicting, and tempers at school board meetings have flared. As Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports, what started as anger over critical race theory has evolved into attacks on public schools. Is critical race theory taught in Kansas schools? Technically, no. But consider some teaching resources the state schools look toward. A big part of systemic racism is implicit bias. Is to be aware of your privilege and use this particular privilege. And necessary change has to happen in order for black and indigenous people to be free. Lessons on racism and discrimination drive part of what Kansas kids learn at school. Most educators say that's a good thing. But the debate over critical race theory, the idea that slavery, Jim Crow, and systemic racism are key to understanding American history, has quickly become a key battleground in the country's ongoing culture wars. Critics say public schools echo lefty talking points in ways that breed white guilt and only stir more racial conflict. Republican State Representative Patrick Penn told a legislative committee recently that programs focused on white privilege are tantamount to critical race theory. Penn, who is black, says those lessons don't belong in classrooms. For those of you with small kids, you've probably heard uh, the song on the uh, Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome when you walk in the street. Critical race theorists believe that everything is racist. Everything is racist when you walk in the street. Already a handful of states have banned critical race theory in public schools. Conservatives in the Kansas legislature look poised to try that here even if that makes unclear how you teach about Brown versus Board of Education, the landmark Supreme Court decision that drove decades of school desegregation. Superintendents, school boards, and teachers worry that attacks from the right hamper their ability to teach history honestly and to make sure schools don't perpetuate racism. Parents in the Shawnee Mission School District are protesting a training program called Deep Equity. They say it's just critical race theory going by another name. School libraries have seen challenges to books that deal with race, gender, or sexuality. I mean, I think what we're seeing here is a broader culture war being fought in America's schools. That's Nora Pelizari with the National Coalition Against Censorship. We're seeing people uncomfortable with particular viewpoints or stories or narratives suggesting that no one should have access to those stories or viewpoints or narratives. And that's very dangerous. And it's very un-American. Critics, meanwhile, say that it's the programs that are un-American. Penn, the state lawmaker, pointed to online resources for Wichita teachers that featured materials gleaned from the Black Lives Matter movement 
and the 1619 Project, lauded on the left but seen by conservatives as defining America only by the worst of its racist history. I categorically reject and deny out of hand every single tenet that would say that my sons should be judged solely on the color of their skin and not the content of their character. That's the problem that I have with CRT. So what's happening now is an ideological battle over a central question. Is our society racist or not? In what could be a preview of upcoming debates in the Kansas legislature, consider this exchange between Republican State Representative Christy Williams and State School Board Member Ann Ma. Would you say that public education is systemically racist? There is um, institutional racism in education, yes. So public education has systemic racism? There is systemic racism in education. Okay. Yeah. Pelizari with the anti-censorship group says that we can disagree over American history and race, but that doesn't mean schools should just ignore it. School is the best place to encounter potentially difficult or uncomfortable material, because if we remove discomfort from education, we're removing quite a bit of the value of education. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Suzanne Perez in Wichita. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration between KCUR, KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Laura Ziegler, in for Nomeen Ujiadeen. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Suzanne Perez's story on critical race theory in Kansas, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local stories from Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show, please write us a review on your favorite podcast app or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930. Tomorrow, a look at the congressional redistricting debate in Missouri. Thanks for listening.